Hey everyone, this is your host, Guns, and welcome to another episode of Startup Conversations, View from the CTO, a collaboration between Seedtable and Circle CI, where we sit down with some of the greatest CTOs in Europe to deconstruct how to build and operate high-performing technology teams. My guest today is Adam Ranklind. Adam is a co-founder and CTO of Pitch, the collaborative presentation software for modern teams. Before starting Pitch, Adam worked as CTO for Wonderlist, the cloud-based task management application that was acquired by Microsoft in 2015. Today, we sit down with Adam and cover a bunch of topics, including how to compete for the best talent in a remote first world, what Adam would export from his experience working at a corporate company and import into startups, Adam's decision-making toolkit, why software development is a team sport and what that means, how to unleash your team's creativity, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Adam, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, very excited to be here. Perfect. Let's let's dive right in. Uh, what's the two-minute version of Adam? Two-minute version is that uh, I'm a Swede who came to Berlin to join a small startup called Wunderlist about 10 years ago. I have a background as a mobile and later front-end developer. And I'm, I'm, I guess you could say I'm in love with the web platform as a playground and application delivery mechanism. And I can really get nerdy about user interfaces and in particular how we create delightful moments in areas of software where status quo or the where frustration is the status quo and where uh, you know where there's not enough fun. So make software fun. And that that can really be reflected in the pitch product, right? Yeah, I mean we've really uh, really put a lot of emphasis on that, and the whole company, in a way, is is a reaction to our time at uh, working at Microsoft after Wunderlist, where in a more corporate environment, so we really tried to inject a lot of fun and, in a way, also remove remove a time waste in there, so you can really focus on uh, the parts that you enjoy about creating a presentation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're going to dive into the transition from startup to corporate to startup in a few moments. But first, I want to take a step back uh, and start thinking, or I want to ask you, how do you see the role of the CTO, but most importantly, how it evolves over time, right? So you or Pitch started a few years ago, uh, you've been growing pretty, pretty quickly. So I'm very, very curious about uh, your perspective. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely interesting. So it, it, the at the start, the role of the CTO is basically the lead programmer, from building the first prototype to hiring the first engineer. And in that time, I was very much involved with every line of code. But as as we grew the team and hired other uh, really smart and passionate people, there is a need to to both kind of show the future direction to make sure we're all uh, walking towards the same goal, but also keep keep uh, scouting and looking for talent that can broaden the team, uh, have new perspectives. So basically, I would say that I have, today I have four main objectives, set the technical direction with our business goals, 
uh, hire amazing people and, and teams with experience and ambition, create a, an environment in which these people can be creative and do their best work and have the incentives to do so. And finally, I think reinforce or, or observe and reinforce the culture that exists through values and principles and just talking a lot uh, to people, which is what I do a lot these days. That is incredible. And I want to double click on, on, on all of them, but I want to start on the second one, which is um, you mentioned recruiting and hiring an incredibly talented team. So I think we could sort of both agree that sort of post COVID, uh, the talent markets really changed. First, you had to sort of compete for, for talent locally, but now it's, it's globally, right? Um, so how do you think about recruiting and retaining talent in a world where sort of COVID made talent markets global? Yeah, that's a tricky question. I would say that now remote work or work from anywhere has in the last 12 months become table stakes and it's not really something you can use to differentiate anymore. So any organization that doesn't offer remote work in some meaningful way will really struggle to grow their team in significant ways. So I'd say, you know, being well-funded and uh, able to pay above market salaries is definitely uh, something that helps you to attract people uh, initially. But in the end, I think that most people are motivated more, more than money uh, to find a team in which they can be constantly challenged you know, no one likes to be the smartest person in the room. Um, so creating like groups or pods of people with lots of diverse experiences so people can learn from each other and then put interesting technical challenges, product opportunities in front of them and have them riff on that. And, uh, and the way that we do that at pitches is, is through experimentation a lot, through iterative development. We co-develop uh pitch with our users. So that's also very much a, a conversation between uh, two parties. And I think for a lot of uh, engineers and designers, that kind of that kind of work where you're very tightly connected with the person who would use it in the end, it's much more rewarding than uh, putting some software in a box and throwing it over the fence. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very curious, what are some of the core trades that you look for in new hires, not sort of hard skills? Yeah, I think so. In its essence, I believe that uh, developing software is a team sport. So I think great communication skills is super important or also a, a bias towards teamwork and tight collaboration rather than, uh, rather than any kind of superheroes or 10x engineers. We want 10x teams that can be greater than the sum of its parts. Um, things I would also look for is, although it's very tricky to see in a CV in a conversation, but demonstrated ownership and accountability, being able to, to take really complex topics and break them down. Because everything is, everything is really hard in, when it's a ball of mud. But if you can take it apart into smaller pieces, then, then we're, most of us are able to solve those smaller pieces. And then when we put them back together, we can, we can build something that is really impactful and powerful, but by reducing the complexity of how we need to maintain it. Yeah, something that's also super important for us because of how we develop product, as I said before, where everyone is involved is having a sense, an intuition for what is a good 
simple and useful and finally delightful experience so that's something that everyone at pitch to a certain degree is is uh, is a trait that we all share that's great and that last one is is not one that i was expecting so it's very interesting to see how you think about that and how it reflects in the the product one of the most interesting things you said you sort of broke down your role into four parts is this thing about creating the right environment for your team so what are some of the practices cultural principles operating frameworks that you use to create a sort of a high performing environment yeah so i think you can can kind of summarize that as you know create a room with a lot of uh with a lot of trust and then get out of it to, to really uh put together teams of individuals and give them uh, a nice challenge to work towards or a problem to solve and then kind of get out of the way and trust the uh, the process um and i think a really important part there is that no one should be flying blind so developing something in isolation is not good uh that we do it very closely with our users in different uh, many different ways with you know having shipping features very early with feature flags but also doing diary studies with users or, or just user testing sessions and really trying to with everything we do blend together two perspectives one is our our vision of what how we think that things should work which is important and the other is what do users need from us right now and in the future and then when we merge these together uh, we come up with a yeah a compelling and delightful product and either of these two if they're too strong uh, we end up building something that people probably don't like or we build something without conviction that is just uh, you know a collection of random features uh, so that balance is something that we we uh, we look for when we hire people and we train and we keep on practicing yeah and and with that also other practices that go in line with that a little bit is a constant evolution of our practice trying to be reflective of what you're doing and how that's working uh, in the form of uh, postmortem analysis if something went bad or retro if something didn't go so bad uh, so we try to really analyze things and make smaller tweaks the whole time can help teams remove the parts that they don't like very quickly so that they can really focus on building impactful things and and doing that in a in a fun environment where they feel they feel challenged but by the right things what about back to this idea of creating a room uh building trust and then getting out of it um what are some of the things that you do to create trust especially in a remote environment yeah this is this is actually i think super tricky i don't think we or anyone else have fully solved this yet what i think you have to do is even though you would want to have a, a process and and tools that are somewhat aligned but you also have to carve out room room for every team to be different in whatever way is is good for them and that could be like finding some some tools or finding more importantly practices that work for them so you know some examples of something that most or many software teams are doing is some kind of planning and some kind of retro we don't really prescribe how that should be done we ask the teams plan ahead in some way so that they know what they're going to ship and we know what they're going to work on but the format of this is not is not required in any way um so i think 
yeah, recognizing that you've hired experienced and uh, motivated individuals that are playing at the, the top of their league. And, and then, yeah, putting them in front of well-defined problem statements so that we, we, don't, we don't try to solve the wrong problem or you know, build in the wrong direction, I think can really unleash a lot of creativity. And with that also, I think there has to be a little bit of room for conflict or friction as well. Uh, we're trying to build things, build something out of nothing in many cases. In some cases, it's like iterative development, trying to improve something. But for the most time, we're building something out of nothing. And in this metaphorical room we're talking about, there needs to be space to be also vulnerable, be humans, and, and create a, a, a culture of trust within there that doesn't necessarily need to exist in the same way between teams. But within this team, they need to be a really uh, well-functioning pod that's going in one direction but with the ability to have a, a thunderstorm in there to create a new idea and also recover from that i want to switch lanes a bit um i've been having all these conversations with incredible ctos all over europe and this is the first one in which the sort of the word product keeps coming over and over and over and over and it's, it's different uh, i'm not saying it's it's a bad thing, actually. That's why I want to double click on it. But it's very, very interesting. So how do you think about the role of product in a technical organization? How it's like pitch set up right now? Yeah, so I think there's uh, an instance where we're a little bit different. I would call myself a product CTO or our CEO and my, my friend Christian. He would also consider himself a product CEO and also head of product. So yeah, this is really at the essence of what we do at Pitch, trying to create, uh, actually product is more a stand-in word for experience. It's really about how people are interacting with it. That is at the, the core of what we do. So, and like I said before, everyone is kind of involved in it. We have a, a Pitch quite a, yeah, a limited amount of product managers that are working mostly to facilitate the process of inventing product and, and maintaining and uh, iterating, iterating on it uh, more so than prescribing what, it, what we should do. So that, I think the, the culture pitch is really that everyone is co-developing the product and, and together with, uh, with our users. And I'm not sure if I could do it any other way, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> that, is our, that is how we work at Wunderlist as well. Uh, also a reason why maybe we, some of us didn't fit in so well at Microsoft where it's more more traditional lanes, everyone should stay in their lane. Yeah, but it's it's uh it's working out really well for us. Wonderlist, Microsoft, pitch again. Um, like everyone is like uh, so I think we can both agree that it's more fun and everything to work at a startup, right? Fast growing. We don't really like to stay in our lanes, as you said. But I'm wondering, what's something that you would sort of export from corporate to startups? Something that is actually sort of worth uh discussing something that's actually worth keeping i mean i think there are some things we like to bash at the corporate experience sometimes and, and, and like i said starting pitches in some ways a reaction to what we experienced there but for sure there are a lot of things that are working well in a you know, corporation that's well oiled like that like one thing is uh i would say that they have pretty pretty clear paths if you're okay with staying in your lane for growing and growing your influence. Um, and I think in a, 
in a company that is a little bit bigger also, that has multiple products, many, many different teams, one exciting thing that we really can't offer yet at a company like Pitch with 130 people and one, one main product is, you know, jumping around from very different areas. And, uh, you know, one day I'm a machine learning engineer and the next, I'm, I don't know, writing some policies about something. The truth is in, in a startup, you have to do that all the time and you're kind of you're not able to stay in one lane. So if that becomes uh, your, like your wish to specialize in that way, like some of the bigger companies are, are good in a way there. And as a startup, we're kind of growing towards that. You know, we eventually we adopt a lot of a lot of the good parts about a larger company as well. Uh, and I think it's every startup's dream to to not implement any of the bad parts as we grow. Uh, but you know, growing is hard. Uh, I think we we have to be be humble also about what we're doing. Growing is hard. Um, <laughs> I think that definitely captures it. <laughs> What's we'll, we'll keeping yeah. up at night over the next twelve months or whatever random timeline? Yeah, that's a good question. I I would say that actually that unless I am a I have a, an important decision that for some reason I'm hesitating to make, that I'm procrastinating, then I sleep really well at night. I'm not not so worried about things. I think our our challenges in the next 12, 18 months they they will definitely be interesting and at times intense and stressful but um my method for dealing with it is, it's the same as with software engineering you take the big ball of mud and you try to decomplex it to break it down into smaller pieces and solve them one by one so and this way we can go from a feeling of you know it's overwhelming the world is on our shoulders everything is out of control that's this is mostly an illusion so we can break that illusion by breaking things down into smaller pieces and finding the essence of each problem and solve that and then zoom out. And of course, you also need to look at it holistically, I think, but that's more a second pass afterwards, an optimization, if you will, to, to the actual solution. So yeah, my, my advice would be to not worry and break problems down. One thing you said is that sometimes you procrastinate on a decision. Usually it happens to me when the decision is not super clear or when it's not obvious. So how do you actually get to a decision do you have a framework for that yeah I, uh, not a framework with that in per se uh, but methods that i think i've stolen like here and there what i like to do is jump into notion write a lot of bullet points they at some point they grow into kind of a few different sections of trying to describe the the opportunity or the problem um something that i learned from uh who used to be my Osa, who used to be our uh, VP of engineering, who's our, now our COO, is risk analysis, trying to really think in multiple steps of what is the risk of doing or not doing something. So that's also something I'm incorporating in decision making a lot. The simplest thing is is usually to not do anything. So what is actually the cost of of not doing that? Um, and is is that smaller than the cost of uh, of, of doing it? And I think. At that point, if, if I'm sitting on a decision and unable to, to actually get anywhere, one of the best things to do is just talk to someone else, not, not pull the decision in their corner and try to you know, force them to, to climb over that hump, but just get feedback and uh, have a rubber duck to kind of 
uh, bounce back your thoughts at you because usually uh, the answer is, is there. You just have to dig a little bit or there's not enough information and then you need to go out and find that. But yeah, so it, I guess in essence, trying to structure it and breaking it down again into smaller pieces. I guess this is actually a trend with me. That makes perfect sense. And I'm actually going to steal that if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> of course. We're going to wrap up with a fun one. So what writer or book has got the greatest influence on your career or your life and why, of course? Yeah, but uh, reading, I mean, I would say I'm not great at reading books. <laughs> uh, the, the 37, the early 37 signals books, so 37 signals books, they were quite influential to how I approach product development and, and try to be lean and learn from iterating. But, uh, you know, I honestly prefer short form content front loaded with insight rather than anything spread out over 400 pages. Life is, is really short. So give me the gist and I'll move on. I'm much more of a uh, reading papers like uh, research papers and essays and following the discussion of that. I'm actually one of the, I guess, one of the people who really enjoy discussion threads online, maybe not on Twitter, but, but things like Hacker News and Lobsters, where there's really reasoned and nuanced discussion about things, which is often, often more insightful than the material in itself, because it combines many different experiences and you can kind of have a more well-rounded view on the topic. That's a perfect place to end up. Adam, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It was great. It was great fun. Hey, this is Gons again. If you enjoyed this episode of Startup Conversations, please let us know by leaving an honest review. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this one or find out more about the collaboration between Seedtable and CircleCI, visit seedtable.com forward slash conversations. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. Ciao.